Welcome to Chris's Rambles on StoryArchaeology.com. This is Ramble 4, Walking with Sheelanagigs. Sometimes it's possible to experience an encounter with, say, a poem, a book, a play, or music, something which shifts your whole viewpoint somehow. I remember when I was around 16, my very enlightened English teacher took us to see Peter Brook's Oedipus Seneca at the Old Vic. Yeah, that, that was a landmark piece of theatre. It was followed by a workshop where we could question both Peter Brooks and John Gilgood. That experience represented one such ground shift in terms of theatre and poetry, and I'll never forget it. It was great. This time it was music. Now, I don't listen to much music. It's not that I don't enjoy music. In my youth, I was a slightly resistant choral singer. I also sang a fair amount of folk music. Now, I really would have liked to have been able to sing blues, but my voice didn't agree with me, and my voice was right. I was really bad at it. The problem is that I cannot ignore it. I don't do background music. It irritates me at best. For me, music is more akin to an immersion in poetry. I have to listen in the right circumstances, or not at all. I'm also fascinated by edges, borderlands. Perhaps that's why I like walking. Even on a very familiar walk, no tree, no road verge, no skyscape ever presents the same experience twice. Every shift in season, or even a minor change of light or weather, offers fresh, unexplored vistas, viewpoints, portals. Perhaps I've been searching for the door at the back of the wardrobe since I was around five years old, and maybe I've encountered it frequently, and even found it once or twice. I've sometimes named those two worlds, Logos and Mythos, oh, but they're far better described in the Irish Otherworld stories. Many years ago, I was reading Paul Vane's Did the Greeks Believe in Their Myths to Isolde as she was preparing for her philosophy degree at Trinity, but one line stopped me in my tracks. I can't quote the context here, but it referred to the extreme difficulty of making a crossing between ways of seeing with open eyes, you know, consciously, deliberately. I suddenly understood how much the context of active awareness of the liminal spaces enriched creativity, and it certainly helped me as a storyteller. This time, it was a suite of music created by Professor Ben Dwyer, Sacrum Profanum. It was this music that sent me walking with the Sheilas. Now, I have to admit that over many years, I may have underestimated these mysterious companions. I suppose I was cautious, partly because the archaeological evidence didn't seem to place them, well, in their present form, as earlier than the late Irish medieval period. Uh, Post-Norman. Also, there's no sense of such imagery in the early textual stories, or, in fact, the later oral retellings. The term Kalyak does occur 
occasionally. One powerful Kaliak, for instance, does appear in the 15th century version of one of the tales of the largely lost hero Mongorn. Now, she's an interesting character. I'll add the link to the Archive Mongorn podcast to the post. The trouble is that Kaliak really just means old woman. And it's unfortunate that elderly women have become negatively connected with malevolence in folklore, especially Scottish folklore for some reason. I know that the Sheila Gig is quite different and totally separate, but Sheila Gigs have, at least in the past, attracted a similar unwanted baggage of malevolence. I can also get a bit prickly about the neoclassical-inspired tendency to attach specific functions to Irish culture heroes and ancestor figures. If they did have such functions, we would probably have a recognisable god or goddess of rain, and we don't. I've always been a bit unhappy about categorising Sheilas as ancient Celtic goddesses, kind of influenced by a neoclassical style of categorisation and I find that a bit reductive. I think Sheelanagigs have a wonderfully independent life of their own. And yes, I know that they're found in Wales and even in England, but they have a very special place in Ireland. Nobody knows precisely why they were so carefully and specifically carved, often but not always near churches, but whenever the dates of the images we have today were formed, they are old, very old, always enigmatic, always other, sacred and taboo, celebrating birth and death. They are full frontal, direct and unflinching. They remind me sometimes of figures like the seated woman of Cashel Hoyoke, that's about 8,000 years old. She's forward-facing, sitting in what's thought to be a birthing chair, her hands resting on the heads of leopards. She may, it has been suggested, represent the border between the safe and the unsafe, the known and the terror of the unknown. And then, of course, there's Sibylle and Lilith, originally both from the same Mesopotamian area, and they're both accompanied by two wild cats, perhaps lions, but they seem to hold a similar quality, a similar position. But this ramble is connected to the recently published Stories in the Landscape conversation with Professor Ben Dwyer. We talked about a lot of this in that podcast conversation. So I don't want to just repeat it all again now. No, I want to introduce you to some of the Sheena gigs who shared my ramble. So one day, in late summer, I downloaded Ben's music, Sacrum Profanum, onto my phone, selected my best earphones and invited the enigmatic women to join me on my favourite walk over Shebeg and the winding tree-draped paths round the lake. And like a sudden shift in the season or the sun shadow of lowering cloud, the music overlaid the journey like a second sight. Everything was subtly different. It was the starting piece, Lamentum, that opened the way so seductively. The Irish harp was a call, offering a gift of history depth, a timeless cave, perhaps reminiscent of Nera, called to enter Onigat. And then I encountered my first Sheelanagig, Cloran. She seemed playful, drawing me further in with an almost skittish, disjointed, ear-catching movement. Now, I'm not surprised she was demanding attention. 
I'd met her before, allowed out for once from the storeroom in the British Museum to be one of the guests at Grayson Perry's exhibition Tomb of an Unknown Craftsman back in 2011. Now that was a good enough reason for playfulness. But as I began to climb the hill of Shebeg, she, in the guise of the Kaliak, also the title of this section, began to speak directly in her own ancient words. She spoke as I imagined that the Morrigan herself might speak. The Morrigan, not that grey, lean and nimble hag, harbinger of death, but as the woman, the red-tressed equal of the Dagda, who meets and mates with him over the river Unshin. She is the clear-eyed herald who records and speaks beginnings and endings, both defeats and victories, offering only the truth, uncompromising, unembroidered, incapable of euphemism. Her words are both an invitation and a warning. Not unlike the Sheen and the gig, perhaps. Later, after my ramble, I was also able to read the English translation of Kalyak. Yes, her... Her prediction in the third stanza really reminds me of the second section of the Morrigan's poem at the close of Kathmakaturat. I'll put up a link to his oldest translation of the Morrigan's poems so you can compare them to the words of this Kaliak. She speaks. There will be an eclipse in the skies and blood will be spilt. Strong floods from the mountain will rend the hills. The rich cairn will perish and all the hills, or will be all in one place, before my small black rose will die. But she finishes with, There are no things on earth more grievous to be recounted than the death of friends and the parting of comrades. Yes, this is a voice to which I want to listen. But almost immediately, the music begins to sharply refocus the view, bringing the memory of the land itself alive. By now, I was up on top of the hill, and it was exhilarating. This was the stepping out beyond security, the battle march, the terrible beauty. Battle pipes and drums wove and waved a heartbeat of optimism and yearning, gain and loss, but mostly a deep and dire determination. I was not surprised to find images of Ukrainian soldiers flashing across my inner landscape. When I later looked at the title of this section, Expugnatio, I understood the context. The piece invokes Expugnatio Hibernica, the conquest of Ireland, containing the 12th century calumnies of Henry II's twisted propaganda manga, Geraldus Cambrensis. And his unfortunate influence is not yet completely wiped away. Not yet. And then, just there, I encountered the next of my companion Sheila and the Gigs. This one seemed to ripple into my soundscape like sunshine on the surface of water, like bubbles in a pool. She was gentle, a fractured reflection, her voice almost a keening. When I later discovered that this piece, St John's Well, introduced the carved figure at the eponymous well in Stepaside, Dublin, I recognised her from the voice of her music. She's worn, almost lost to time, yet her eyes still gaze out straight ahead. But now, as my narrow path descended, winding down towards the lake into a leaf-lined tunnel of soft green, I'd lost that long-sighted ranging of distant hills. 
I now faced a single view and a single clear voice. Here, in this shadowed space, I was at the heart of the journey as Sheila Nagig, the title of the track, began to speak her own story. I stood still as this powerful poem filled the space around me. Once fastened and viewed, they carry me petrified to shores interleafed with our hunger. But here I return and turn, fixed in the breath of death, unfastened in death unborn. Oh, there's so much more. I began walking again, now on a path through woods, both hardwood and plantation. Suddenly I realised that my movement had altered. I was treading stealthily, though not cautiously. It felt slightly predatory. Yes, I was hunting, not the hunted. In this new section, the music was playful, atonal, with quick rhythmic changes. Then as the voice scape began, I got it. In this section, titled Hag, here was the Kayak, the Sheila Nagig, aware of her strength, wisdom and experience, moving in confidence, almost brazenly. It reminded me of Terry Pratchett's book, Weird Sisters. Now, I may be paraphrasing rather than quoting, but I seem to remember the youngest of the three, Magrat, worrying that there might be dangers out there in the forest at night, and Granny Weatherwax replying something like, Oh, yes, of course there are dangers. Us. Yes, I enjoyed that track. I found myself laughing out loud. Mm, touch of the Kaliak. Must be age. The road was weaving onward, passing just a few local homes and farm buildings. And it was here, near a slightly dilapidated barn, I encountered the next of the carved companions. The Rutlan Sheila was also playful, if a little enigmatic, aren't they all? She is perhaps a more accessible Sheila Nagig. She is, after all, waving. This Sheila Nagig can be found in Carlo on private property in the townland of Urglin or Rutland. It's said that she might have been found in County Offaly in the River Barrow near a monastic site. Did I mention she was enigmatic? It's even suggested that she might be a male figure, a Sean Nagig. Perhaps on this journey she is pointing the way back to the mundane world. A tricky moment. Transitions always are. Residua certainly felt like a moment of gentle returning. I reached this track shortly before I turned east to climb the hill back to my home. After a grey day, the last of the pale golden sunset was fading away into the western horizon. A soft light was drifting down, reforming the world back into the familiar, solid evening landscape. And then, towards the close of the piece, came the reminder. Return to the everyday may seem straightforward, but no one returns unchanged, or can be certain what may have accompanied them back. I was now almost on my way home, just passing an ancient roadside well, still occasionally used by locals for the sweetness of its water, and there she was, the final Sheila the Gig on my Sacrum Profanum journey. It's thought that the Kulukmor Sheila the Gig had originally been discovered by a well in the 19th century and was then reburied in the Kulukmor Church graveyard. 
where in 1975 it was rediscovered in clearance work and donated to the Rothhaus Museum. This Sheila Geek has a story to tell, as they all do. It would seem that in her time she has been reviled, buried in a grave to assuage her shame, and then finally displayed as a curiosity in a bricked-up window niche. The figure continues to gaze calmly out on the world. Some think she may have even once held something in her left hand, but if so, that is lost to time. Her music tells the story. It is unsettling, disturbing. It evokes a melange of both worlds. A bell becomes electrical interference. The plangent note of the pipes become emergency sirens. Is that distant water or distant traffic? A long-ago radio recording or a voice from the other side? And here she stands at the return border point, almost at the close of this story journey. As I said, no one returns from the border unchanged, and no one can be certain of what may have accompanied them back and may remain with them. And as I reached my own gate on the hill of Shebeg, I was lulled by the voice of the Queen. Yes, a lament, but maybe also a lullaby. The Sheelanagig can do both. Sacrum Profanum. Yes, I could have just written a review of the piece, but for me this music tells a familiar story that resonates so powerfully with the ancient and the recent and with the history and the land of Ireland. It was greatly enhanced by embedding it in a familiar landscape in which I love to walk. Nevertheless, I highly recommend the piece. It can be simply and easily bought digitally or as a CD, but with a beautifully produced illustrated booklet containing so many images of Sheila gigs, along with much of Ben's deep insights into these figures, and of course the translations of the poetry into English. I think the, book, the booklet also accompanies the digital purchases. Look, I'll add all the links to the CD and digital downloads to the podcast webpage. But go on, try walking with Sheila Nagigs. Go out among trees, into a garden, a park, or your own familiar streets, and listen. Listen to how the music of Sacrum Profanum and the voices of the Sheila Nagigs speak to you where you are. Oh, and please, let me know how you get on. I'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm.